Welcome, Christian, to the fourth and final episode in our Advent series. We're on the edge of the fulfillment of that first Advent of the long-awaited one, and at the same time smack dab somewhere in the middle of the final Advent when our Christ will come for the last time, and each one of these titles and prophecies will reach their ultimate fulfillment. I hope and pray that in these next few minutes, you will find yourself with the ability to enter into a bit of pause and to let all of these things about Christ settle deep in your heart. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. This is the verse most of us likely know the best. It was the first in the song we sing or that we hear played. But in the origin of these verses, it was the last one recited by those 8th century monks on Christmas Eve. I would love to have had a conversation with those guys about the whys of the prophecies of Christ that they chose to focus on. It seems to me in my limited reasoning that leaving this as the last one is extremely poignant. Perhaps Emmanuel and the truth this title represents is the culmination of all the others, and perhaps what we each long for most. Now, throughout the biblical narrative, God has wanted a relationship, a covenant together with his people. Two parties agree to the terms or conditions of the said partnership, and from the beginning of account of creation, all the way through the birth of the nation, its patriarchs, their faith journeys, the enslavement of the nation, the exodus rescue, settling in the promised land, deliverance from enemies, the rise and fall of the nation and its leadership, and eventual exile and return, we see God continually holding true to his part, his faithfulness to the terms of what he committed to. Now, it's a relationship that has never looked like a buddy-buddy friendship, as it sometimes can come across or presented. Rather, it's a relationship or a partnership, and so much more than what my little brain can wrap itself around. It's friendship, it's intimacy, there's a lordship and authority aspect for sure, obedience and faithfulness, there's a parental peace, along with the reverence due to the creator by his creation. It is all the above and it is more, all at the same time. It's a lot, because quite honestly, he's a lot. Only his people, as we see in the biblical narrative, tended to be quite fickle. It's easy to say on this side of history. They were easily swayed, influenced, and distracted. Their strength and faith fluctuated at alarming rates. Their actions and response, both to God and the covenant, and their surrounding influences and situations vacillated in extraordinary measures. Take the Exodus, for example. It was an exceptional rescue. They made it to Mount Sinai and received the, the Ten Commandments, again, in exceptional fashion. And while they were waiting for Moses to return from a second conversation with God, the people asked Aaron, who was basically their temporary leader, to make them a God to lead them. In the grand scheme of things, they had waited about a nanosecond since their interaction with God on that mountain. It had only been about two months since the power of Egypt drowned in that Red Sea, and they had put their faith in God. Over time, we see God appoint specific people to lead in and through really specific circumstances. Think about Moses and Joshua and all the ways God delivered his people throughout the judges. God shows people were no picnic. The leader's task was to lead people in the way of God as if he were their leader. And they couldn't seem to handle God himself, and despite all God did to get them where they were, they lived more like everyone else around them rather than in the goodness God had for them if they remembered their covenant. Now keep in mind, this is a general summary, and there was a lot going on, but I'm really not sure what their idea of covenant or partnership was. 
Eventually, the people asked for a king, like what all of the other nations around them had, and so God gave them what they wanted. But it came with a solemn warning about how those kinds of kings reign. He did this in light of the covenant he made with them, in light of what he offered to them of himself. And over time, there are some really good kings, but most of them were bad. And by bad, I mean evil. And so over time, the nation imploded, scattered, and big chunks of them were exiled to live under the aggressor's rule. Now, the prophet Isaiah has come up a lot in these podcasts, and for good reason. His is one of the largest books in the Bible, and God used him to be one of the biggest voices to the people who, in his estimation, were still his people. It's his voice God used to tell the people most comprehensively of the coming Messiah, the Savior. Granted, a large chunk of Isaiah's book is about judgment, which really is the consequences of not keeping up their end of the covenant. And a lot of them are simply natural consequences of living a life so far from what was designed specifically to help them live well, which was in a covenantal relationship with God. Their hearts were hard and their ears were closed. And yet, through Isaiah in the times of one of the most vile and wicked kings in all of their history, God brings some light to the end of their tunnel. King Ahaz at one point was a terrified king. He was expecting an imminent invasion and ousting from the throne. Isaiah reassured him that the invasion wouldn't happen and encouraged Ahaz to ask God for a miraculous sign of confirmation. The king refused. He didn't trust God at all. Regardless, he was told a sign would be given anyway, which ended up being fulfilled in the distant future after domination and exile by, by an even greater empire than what they were avoiding at present. The virgin will conceive a child, miracle. She will give birth to a son. How does Isaiah know this? And will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, a miracle because God is so holy and cannot associate himself with anything unholy, which was their reasons for priests in the sacrificial, sacrificial um, system in the temple. But perhaps if this baby was to be born in such a way in Ahaz's time, it would mean that there was something really special about him and how he would lead the people, perhaps by God's way. This would have been a huge threat to a king like Ahaz who led people in the complete opposite direction, if in any direction at all. So we see Ahaz not listening. And even though they avoided that one invasion, Isaiah went on to tell him that the Assyrians would be coming and that they would not escape. But... In the midst of this message, he urges them to hope, and he was coming as a child born to the people, a son. The government will rest on his shoulders. He would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. Ahaz had his own expectations and his own desires and wants. And that's how he lived, and that's what he led towards, like many before and the few after. The people suffered, and their ears remained deaf and hearts empty of God. Their history does include high points, successes, devotion, and wins. But those times were because, for the most part, certain people trusted God and led the people to be faithful and trust the same. However, much of their history is also wrought in an environment with instability, fear, complaining, defiance, faithlessness, and evil. And in light of the latter, these glimpses of a hopeful future would be excellent news for those who long for what is to fulfill expected promises, for those weary of the lives they couldn't get out of or have on their own. The idea of Emmanuel, God being with them, born to them as a person, how would they have envisioned it? How would you have envisioned it? How do you envision it? You know, it's easy to remark on the unfaithfulness we see in the biblical narrative, but would we, would I, would I be or am I any different? 
King Jesus born, Emmanuel God was with them. Jesus wasn't just a sign from God. He is the, invis- the visible image of the invisible God. Mysteriously and miraculously, a son was born to a virgin. As was stated, he was called Emmanuel. He grew up with and among his people, did all of life with them and among them. He also pointed them to who God was. He walked with and spent time with and talked with God. It was how he knew the things to say, the ways to communicate, the how to meet people where they were at. He was a living example for how to know God and what it would be like to have a life that was valued and that had purpose and belonged within the kind of world God intended. There was a chance. His words were in complete agreement with everything he did, and yet too many people walked away. Many got it, for sure. Many understood. Maybe too many couldn't let go of their own expectations or their own comfort. But many were also so against him that they plotted to kill him alongside the very people they were wanting liberation from. How does this happen? They completely missed God being with them. They missed the truth that God is still interested in being faithful to them, that he wasn't distant, that he heard them, that he saw them, and the fact that they were so far in so many ways from him. He did what was humanly impossible to make up that distance. And somehow that very fact became drowned out in life as many of them knew it to be. You know, he was just a town down the road from them. Or maybe he was across the Sea of Galilee. He was just down the block on the side of the hill. Or just across the field, across the vineyard, or across that olive grove. Or with that group of unsavory people at that picnic. Or down by the beach. Or right in front of them. Our history, my history with God, unfortunately resembles a little of Ahaz's. Not trusting God's promises, but more like wanting my own way. Like the Israelites, I too have had a hard time letting go of my expectations and what I thought was comfort and have missed God being with me, right in front of me. In fact, miraculously, he is right inside of me. He is right inside of us with a promise to never leave or quit me. Quit you. And to ensure we knew and have access to him, the Holy Spirit came to each of us to lead and to guide, to gift us, to equip us, to live this life well and bear the fruit of Christ in our lives. This is what it means to not leave. This is what it means to not be left or abandoned. And so like the song suggests, we rejoice. We rejoice for now, for God is with us. He is with you and he is with me. He is transforming us to be more and more like him. And in faith, we rejoice for later when we, lavishly loved children of God, will be like him and we will see him as he is in all of his fullness and glory. God is with us now, but then one day we will know of nothing else. And that covenant he made will be fulfilled, finally. So today I offer the following scripture and questions for you just to think and reflect on. Uh, The scripture is Isaiah 7 verse 14. Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 9, and Psalm 139, the whole thing. It's a good one. So that's Isaiah 7, 14, Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 9, and the whole of Psalm 139. So what expectations do you have of Emmanuel? What are these expectations based on? In what ways are you experienced or have experienced Emmanuel? What was that like? What do you remember? And in what ways can I, can we, can you rejoice or show that we are rejoicing in this truth? How, how do we see this lived out in our lives? And here's an offer prayer, again, just like the other ones. 
as a suggestion in the interest of observing this as a liturgy to pray the following as you wake at each meal and before you go to sleep. The following prayer is this. Jesus, you are with me. Never will you leave me. Never will you give me up. You are present with me right now. So friends, this is the last of our Advent series. And so, which means that Christmas is really just right around the corner, if not tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this. And so friends, Christians, beloved of God, may you experience in fresh ways that you will find refreshment and rest in the reality of Emmanuel and that your hope will be renewed, um, your, your love of God will be expanded, and the room that you have for his Holy Spirit to work in your life will, will grow so that you can see him more fully as he is. Dear friends, you are loved by God. In Jesus' name. Amen.